electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast Rally on the Street, the S&P up four of the last five days. The Dow with its best run in over two months. Much of this move thanks to a retail revival and a rebound in reopening stocks. But how confident should investors be that this consumer field comeback has legs? Plus, a mystery chart that one of our traders says could be a sign that maybe the social stocks are overreacting to Snap's big warning this week. And later, Fast Money forecasting the weather service predicting a rough hurricane season ahead. Up to 20 named storms and as many as six major hurricanes. Could this create a perfect storm for the energy complex and an already battered supply chain? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market side in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Guy Dami, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. We start off with retail rocketing higher shares of Dollar Tree, Macy's, Dollar General, all gaining double digits after their earnings reports this morning. All three companies raising their outlooks for the year. But is the consumer really as strong as these comments suggest. Initial jobless claims claims continue to trend upward with Microsoft and PayPal, the latest companies to announce hiring slowdowns or job cuts. And while demand may currently be strong, consumers may be retrenching to fund their purchases. Savings as a percent of income fell to under 6% in Q1, down from nearly 8% at the end of last year. So if stashes of cash continue to dwindle, job security isn't so secure, Will spending stay strong? Guy, what do you say? Hi, Melms. In certain areas, I think so. We learned it today with Dollar Gen and Dollar Tree. And, you know, some operators are doing extraordinarily well, and others we saw from Walmart and Target, not so much. I think those were one-off quarters for both of those. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But in terms of these dollar stores, absolutely. And I think this is the environment we've talked about it that they do well in. The move in Dollar Tree over the last month, month and a half, has been extraordinary. From 175 down to 120 in pretty much a straight line. And now here we are back to that 165 level. I think that goes higher. But on valuation, Dollar Gen, which is sold off as well coming back, I think you can make a really compelling case for it. So I think those places are fine in the environment that I think we're finding ourselves in. I think it was relief. I just think, you know, we'd priced in so much and we'd heard from the biggest and seemingly should have been the best in terms of managing inventory and managing the inflation cycle. And they didn't. Um, Dollar Gen had a gross margin contraction of about 130 bips. But, you know, they said 12 to 14 percent growth. So um, if you look at the stocks overall and just, you know, the the, the XRT um, and you look at the rally we've had, you're up 14 percent in the XRT, which isn't necessarily uh, you know a great gauge of the entire sector. But I think it does have some sense of really where we've come means the intraday lows of just Tuesday. Uh, meanwhile, the S&P and the Nasdaq from the intraday lows of Friday, we've had a 6% rally. And I think a lot of this rally is because of relief in the consumer. And today I, I coined, you know, the, the triple R's were, were really rates. Uh, you had a reopening trade and you then had retail. And that, to me, is what's working. I think some stability in the Treasury market, even if it's just for now, is part of what's given a lot of these companies some comfort. I mean, relief in the consumer, but I think that the question here is the consumer at this moment in time, they may seem fine, but Karen, are you worried about the consumer in three months, in six months, in eight months? Yes, I am. But if I were Macy's management, Mm -hmm. right, I don't know why I would guide higher, higher 
I must feel really confident. So that's what I read into these guides higher. Because if I only felt like I have clarity for the next couple of weeks and that's it, I wouldn't guide higher. Higher Macy's management is not dumb, right? So we've got to think that they're seeing more strength than we do. And so they probably aren't as focused on the day-to-day valuation change, which has been dramatic. And so we've, we've had these single-digit multiples, mid-single-digit multiples, and you know, any beat is really met with a huge stock run. So I, I'm sort of optimistic that the we were sort of the death of the consumer is uh, overdone. You know what's so what's so fascinating is think back long, long time ago mm. when Tuesday? Walmart and Target oh. reported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like within a couple a week weeks ago. ago, right? Uh, think of how terrible things looked. The panic over the consumer. How the, you know the inventory builds, Pete, and now it's like. We're celebrating. It's like everything's coming up roses. What, which, which camp are you in here? I think, quite honestly, that they didn't pass along what they, sh- what they could have passed along. I was about to say should have. I didn't mean that. But could have passed along to us. You look at Target, for instance. I think you, you saw a couple of different things going on in that report, one of which was, okay, the customers were shifting what they were buying and, and that type of thing. And so that was certainly part of it. But they also weren't really passing on what they were actually seeing. And I'm, unfortunately, we didn't know about this until, of course, earnings. But when you're talking about all of the trucking and all of the gas issues that they were dealing with, that wasn't getting passed along. I think when you're looking at some of these other names, I think the interesting thing is when you look at the dollar stores, for instance, th- those should be the names, I think, that should be working in this, and they and they certainly are. I think it's really impressive. But I think if you're looking further out, and Karen, you're saying that the Macy's management should know better, and I agree with you, but I don't know that they do. And I, 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 and I think that, that might be part of the problem because I think people are just going to feel this more and more and more because I am still very bullish on crude. Crude stays up here or goes any higher, and suddenly we have to pay even more at the pump than we're paying right now. I think the consumer will really be strapped then. And then, you know, the combination of that and jobs and everything else, I think that that part is, you know, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but I do think that that's the possibility, and I think we've got to be prepared for that. So I don't know how much the consumer really has or how much they want to be on in, in terms of debt on those credit cards, which is starting to rise. Yeah. um, You know, Macy's talked about the return to office driving sales. They talked about occasion dress. But how many pairs of chinos are you going to buy in anticipation of going back to the office? How many how many, you know, lacy dresses are you going to buy to go to that wedding? Only some. I'm asking this figure to not look. I mean, it's a great that's a great Um, pick for a wedding. But but it almost feels Um, like this type of spending, which is great for now. It's not it's not durable spending. No, I, I think, but part of what we also heard from these companies, including guys Dollar Gen, uh, is that early second quarter read. So, so they're talking about an environment where uh, Pete's right to point out the spending power erosion going on with the consumer, and I agree with him. Um, I do think that at, at times, though, in the midst of all this, um, we're forgetting just how strong the consumer comes into this. So we've talked all the time about jobs. Uh, how about wages that, in many cases, are actually outstripping uh, the, the the pace of inflation on top of the pent up dynamic, and so. I guess, you know, I, I feel like even, and I'll color myself guilty on this too. I mean, you, you have a dynamic here where uh, I know how bad the macro is, and I think it's getting worse uh, in the rate environment and revolving debt. But uh, it's great to hear from companies like a Dollar Gen or even a Macy's, who Goldman, by the way, coined them, I think, uh, uh, a bright spot among retailers. And if you think about whether it's Karen's Kohl's or, you know, Guy's Dollar Gen or my Macy's or Nordstrom's or a handful of other names, these are retailers 
dollars that are trading in single digit PEs. And there's an M&A dynamic going on out there, too. I mean, if things get very cheap in this environment, there are companies with great balance sheets that are also looking at these stocks, uh, but companies. And, and that's the other dynamic to this rally that we're seeing in retail. And that is if you've got a market that's being that's troubled, a market where there's a lot of volatility, where are you going to put money if you're going to deploy? You're going to go to the places where the PEs are not stretched. It's not a question mark PE in terms of, you know, 28 forward for, I don't know, Apple or whatever it is. Yeah. In between Googling what chinos are, I actually looked at some of the valuations. and I think people would probably agree <laughs> this. I, like, Target was, in my opinion, it was a one-off, as was Walmart, by the way. I think you're going to give them both the benefit of the doubt going forward. And at the valuation you find Target in right now, I think that's a stock you can get your arms around in terms of answering your question, valuation, because I think that's what people are going towards. By the way, I agree with Pete, and I'm, I know Tim does as well in terms of energy. Energy, in my opinion, will continue to grind higher. Zero COVID in China will end at some point, which will become a tailwind for energy. And gas prices will go higher, like it or not, and that will be a headwind. But who wins to that? Walmart, Target, and I think these dollar stores that we talked about. Yeah, 23 and a half, by the way, forward PE for Apple. Um, let's drill down deeper with our own Steve Leisman. Steve, how strong is the consumer? Is, is there any concern that, that inflation um, is going to be an issue and that wage inflation won't keep up with inflation? Uh, sure, there's, there's concern. Um, I think that the market may have gotten a little bit overly spooked by the Walmart Target uh, report. And, and then a bunch of economists sort of stepped up and said, wait a second, it's not as bad as all that. Some softening is expected. But, you know, I, I think one of the economists I quoted said, uh, you know, the death of the consumer has been greatly exaggerated, something, uh, a phrase you played with a little earlier, Melissa. I mean, I can give you the good side and the bad side here. You've got waning fiscal support. That's definitely an issue. Wages in general, uh, speci- or sorry, specifically, have not kept pace with inflation on an average basis. You have a negative wealth effect, and you do have those savings rates coming down. But there's a whole other side to this story, which is ridiculously high savings rate. In fact, I believe I brought along a chart to show you household liquid assets. And they are running, at least by the end of uh, 2021. We'll get new, new figures next month. There it is. See that blue line sticking up there? That's above the trend. That's $4 trillion above the trend. Now, some of that may have been worked out, but there's a boatload of savings out there uh, with which to continue spending. The other thing, and it's a little hard to explain, Melissa, but let me see if I can do this. The total wages paid to workers is running, the increase is running higher than inflation. I'll explain that. Um, in that we brought in some 2 million plus workers into the workforce. They were not being paid before. Now they're being paid. So the total wage bill to workers is up about 12%. So I, I don't ever talk about stocks, but I am interested in a couple things. Uh, you use guys, and I mean that generally, you bid up Amazon all the way to the stratosphere, and now it's come down to where it was before. So I, it, struck, it, me, it strikes me that... Uh, um, uh, that may be overdone there. I think Amazon's going to walk away with at least something of a better market share than it had. But Walmart, same thing. So I don't know. I think what you have is you've got margin compression because margins have been ridiculously high. That's the output end of thing. That's the earnings side of things. But you still have a decent consumer, at least for several months, unless the economy does indeed take a downturn and start to contract. Then you'll have layoffs and a problem. It's like the tail wagging the dog, though, because, you know, everything is fine right now. I mean, Amazon, let's take the Amazon example. Since you're going to come on to this show and offer your stock picks at this point, Steve, um, Amazon is dealing with a lot of uh, wage increases. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm just I'm poking sure. fun at you. Sure. Um, but fuel sure. costs, right. you, um, you know, interfering with margins. At some point, all of this 
weighs on companies to the point where they start retrenching. And we heard that, for instance, there's a story about Sequoia Capital sending out, you know, having a Zoom call with all of their founders and their portfolio companies saying, you know what, do the exercise now. Do the cut exercise now because you may have to do it within the next 30 days. Be ready for that. Yeah. And we're hearing this anecdotally granted, but it's adding up. Look, I mean, here's the deal. The weather forecasters forecast rain. We know it's going to rain. We know there's going to be some softening. We know, for example, the good sellers benefited from people being at home and not spending money on services. There's going to be some softening. So the question is, the market seems to go back and forth between saying, you know, it's going to be a hurricane or it's a hurricane right now to, oh, maybe just a line of thunderstorms coming through. Um, And I think that that's probably more like what's going to happen here is that, first of all, you have this shift, Melissa, from goods to to services, and that's going to be a big thing. You have people who are, you know, going out to uh, on trips and, 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 and doing things, concerts and restaurants they didn't do before. So that's taking money away from these goods producers. And the trouble is the market thought that the pandemic era spending was going to be around forever. So they bid up Peloton all the way. Right. And then what happened there? Steve, it's Karen. Let me just get back to what seems to be the central question for me about the markets, which is what do you think is going to happen to inflation and where do you think the Fed needs to get before they put on the brakes? Well, I'm a little more pessimistic on this. I think the Fed may have to go a percentage point, may have to go to three and a half, may have to go to four before they put the brakes on. Um, but look, it's, a, it's not quite a day-to-day thing, but it's a month-to-month thing. The Fed needs to get a lot of help. I really cannot tell you, and I think that's the most honest I can be, what's going to happen to these supply chain issues. What's going to happen with Ukraine? I think it was Nigerian who was saying earlier, if this Russia thing goes on for longer, then that is, uh, I think, an accurate uh, uh, comment there. That's going to really hurt the consumer. Uh, those are things that, and the China lockdown, those are three things I'm watching very carefully. The other element, of course, is wages working through to inflation. So the Fed's going to need a lot of help here if it's not going to go to four. I think three is where the market is priced. I'm afraid there may be another percentage point in there if the Fed doesn't get any help. Steve, thank you. Always great to speak with you. Steve Leesman. See you guys uh, later. The devil's in the details, or in this case, in that extra one percentage point, Guy, because that uh, could make a big difference in terms of what, where the market should be. Yeah, I agree with that. And where they're not getting help, them being the Federal Reserve, is in the form of energy prices, which Pete brought up, Tim brought up. And I think they're 100 percent to bring it up. They're resilient as can be. Crude oil had every opportunity to break down a week and a half, two weeks ago when it was flirting with $93. It didn't do it. And now we find ourselves north of 110 again. And I think there's another lake high here, especially just one more time. If and when China does release the zero COVID thing, that headwind is going to become an extraordinary tailwind. So the energy play is intact. That's what that's what the Fed is up against right now. And they're not winning that battle at all. All right. An earnings alert now on another consumer name. Costco shares lower despite reporting a beat uh, revenue beat and earnings of 304 a share. Courtney Reagan's got the latest from the conference call court. Hi, Melissa. Yeah, the conference call is just ongoing. CFO is on vacation in Italy. It's being run by the EVP, uh, Bob Nelson. And so far, he has talked through comparable sales, saying they grow nearly 15 percent for the full company. If you strip out FX and 
gas, which of course is a pretty important metric this time around with the gas inflation. The comp sales growth is just shy of 11% for the total company. Now, the United States was the strongest division. Digital sales in total up 7.4%. Store traffic was up. Average transaction up too and up more than the ticket. Best performing categories, actually a lot of them. Candy, sundries, tires, toys, jewelry, home furnishing, and apparel. And they listed underperforming categories that included liquor, office, sporting goods, and hardware. Membership fee revenue, that's up about 9% with all-time high renewal rates. And Costco is not making any announcements about increasing the membership fee today ahead of the typical timing, Bob Nelson said, particularly as consumers grapple with higher levels of inflation. It last raised it in June of 2017. It typically raises it every five to six years. So no new news on that today. Melissa? Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan. It may seem like a piece of trivia that the CFO is on vacation in Italy, but it does seem strange. Very nice this time that of if year. you were the CFO <laughs> of a company, that you wouldn't make sure that you are in town strange. for the Costco earnings release. But anyway, I digress. Karen, yeah. what did you make of this quarter? <laughs> I mean, what do you make of every quarter? Costco is just so good at executing in their business. And the only reason that it's down is that it's really expensive, more expensive than any retail, as it deserves to be, because they're so good at execution. I mean, if you own this stock, this is, not, this is in no way a reason to panic or get out. They're still executing. I, I wish I owned it. I don't. It's always been too expensive, and that's been a mistake. Membership renewal, Pete, all-time high. That, that's like an annuity. Yeah, that's, it is. It's absolutely amazing. And they just continue to do it quarter after quarter. And, and we already get – they do give you monthly numbers, so that's one of the advantages you have over Costco. But, you know, Mel, when you look at these numbers, I think they all look great. Were they, did they blow us away? Probably not. And that was what we were probably expecting. And that's why I also would say why we saw the day that we had before the, we got to the closing bell and then got the earnings. I think people were looking for more. I was looking for more. I actually bought some calls late in the day looking for a little bit more. I thought the stock actually, they'd maybe deliver a little bit more than they did. They need the millennials. They need the Gen Xers. Those are who they're going after. And I'm su- sort of surprised that they haven't raised those those membership rates just another time. I, I, I would expect it because I think they have all the pricing power in the world to get more and more folks to pay up. And they're going to continue to have these record numbers, I think. Coming up, done deal. Broadcom and VMware inking one of the largest tech deals of all time. So will there be more action in the space? The details ahead. But first, we're homing in on biotech as details trickle in from this year's American Society of Clinical Oncology Conference, or ASCO. We're digging into the headlines when Fast Money returns. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are getting some headlines out of this year's American Society of Clinical Oncology Conference. Meg Terrell's got the details. Hi, Meg. Hey, Mel. Well, a couple movers to draw your attention to as this world's largest cancer research conference drops thousands of data sets 
on cancer research ahead of the conference, which starts next Friday. Uh, two up, two down to point your attention to. PMV Pharmaceuticals is the first one, up more than 20 percent. Uh, this is a rather small cap company, $600 million, I think, before the move today. Uh, this was an early stage study in multiple different kinds of tumors. Uh, it does some, seem to be pleasing folks with the results uh, in the after hours this afternoon. Another one to point your attention to, uh, similarly, is Adiset Bio, another small cap, $400 million before the move this afternoon, but up uh, 26% there, also on a very early stage study. Both of these companies are going to have updated data uh, at the conference, but moving positively in the after hours. On the flip side, though, uh, we've got Marathi and Iovance. Uh, Marathi is a somewhat larger company competing with Amgen uh, with drugs now for advanced lung cancer. Uh, That appearing to disappoint folks in the after hours down 15%. The results did look good comparatively to Amgen's. However, they might not last as long as as the early read on this. Uh, Finally, we'll just round out with Iovance. That is the biggest mover and it is down quite a bit in the after hours, almost 50% there. Uh, This is a drug they have for melanoma and it looks like the durability of response for this drug has been less in the results they presented today uh, than people were hoping for, Mel. So we'll keep watching this. We'll let you know anything else that comes of it. Uh, More data coming at the conference next week, but this is the early read. Melissa. All right, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. Um, Guy Dami, I don't know if you've ever looked at any of these tickers before, but... Uh... News to me. But I mean, that's what Meg does. She breaks news here. No, those names I have not heard. Yeah. But what I will tell you is she mentioned Amgen, reported on April 27th, and I know Pete feels this way. Valuation, you've been able to make a great case for Amgen literally for years. And very quietly off that earnings release, you're talking about a stock that's within a whisper of its all-time high, and I think it continue to go higher. So when you look at names along the lines that Meg just talked about, seemingly extraordinarily binary. Amgen is anything but, and you can get your arms in terms of valuation. I mean, certainly it's a tough market for some of those smaller names with only promising things in the pipeline. Um, it's been even a tough market for the big cap biotech names, too. It's been really tough. We talk about also when you're trading the biotech ETFs, you know, if you look at the IBB, it really is the top players with, with solid balance sheets. Amgen is 9% of that ETF. Uh, and that you also have to be careful of what the impact really it was of Moderna. And some of the heaviness there actually maybe creates an opportunity, I think, for owning that ETF. If you think about some of the ASCO comments, I mean, you know, the, the comments around Merck and Keytruda and some of the benefits post-surgery of the convergent data, you know, this is one of these stories that I think continues to give Merck the tailwind that has this company not only uh, breaking out really over kind of five-year uh, levels of, of resistance, but why it trades at a premium to some of its peers. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. It's a deal. Big action in the tech space as M&A heats up. What else is up for sale? And which names could be ready to buy? The details next. Plus, China Tech takes off. The K-Web ETF soaring, as some top players report. So is the group worth the buy? The traders are breaking it down next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
Positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Broadcom and VMware shares jumping as they make their planned $61 billion deal official. The acquisition would give Broadcom more exposure to the cloud. Our next guest warns the announced merger faces significant regulatory challenges. Jared Weisfeld is a U.S. tech sector specialist at Jefferies. Jared, great to have you with us. Um, what are the barriers here? What, what are the problems? So just taking a step back, you know, uh, this is obviously a transformative deal for Broadcom, largest ever, $70 billion enterprise value when assuming the VMware debt. And it's going to really um, jettison their software business to a, to a new level, right? It, when all said and done, half their business is going to be software if this transaction closes. So they've talked about 2023 timeline from a closure standpoint. The thing to keep in mind here is that a lot of the VMware partners, when you look at VMware, it's very neutral as part of the infrastructure ecosystem. So they're partnered with AMD, they're partnered with Intel, they're partnered with NVIDIA. So when you think about that, you've got VMware partnered with Broadcom potential competitors that could certainly create conflicts of interest when you sort of when you think about uh, time to closure. So why, why do you think Broadcom wants to do this if there are potential conflicts, which would um, you know, feasibly um, eliminate some of the business that VMware has. I would assume sure. that, you know, a competitor doesn't want to do business with with Broadcom. So taking a step back, Broadcom's historical framework has been very consistent, whether it's on the semiconductor side of the business or the software side of the business. They acquire franchise assets, assets that can scale up their business where there's a ton of synergy potential. This deal, by my math, is 15% plus accretive. They're going to take VMware margins from the low 30s up to corporate over time, which could get you to the mid-60s. That's significantly accretive. So again, there, these, these challenges that I'm talking about are not unsolvable. I'm sure they've clearly thought about this uh, as it relates to risks to closure. You can certainly you know, think about putting up um, putting up arms and uh, in terms of just from about it, with respect to the ability for each business to talk to each other, et cetera, and creating up barriers that can effectively satisfy the uh, the DOJ who, or FTC, whoever ends up taking this case. So, uh, you know, deal obviously w- without risks. They've certainly thought about the risks. It's incredibly accretive, which is why the stock rallied today. Jared, it's broadened out just a little bit. Obviously, broad, this is what they do. I mean, they're silly requires, which is great. But the fact that they have the confidence to try to pull something like this off in this environment, I think that has to be pretty encouraging for the entire space. Yeah, that, that's, that's such a great point. I mean, let's take a step back. We've had $70 billion of software transactions year to date from an M&A standpoint. Deal activity is higher. Deal activity is larger relative to 2021. So putting Broadcom in the mix now, that's going to effectively double the M&A that's occurred year to date. And software has derated significantly, as we, we can all appreciate. The historical multiple on software is about eight times. If you look at the IGV, the software ETF, we, we, during COVID, we peaked at about 15, 16 times. We're now below where software assets have traded. And you've got many assets that are trading between, you know, in some cases, lower than three to four times revenue. And I'm sure you've heard the Orlando Bravo interview the other day uh, from Toma Bravo. You know, this is, this is the environment for private equity to continue to uh, consolidate the industry. So there's a, there's a ton of op- uh, opportunities ahead. 
Jared, great to see you. Thank you. Jared Weisfeld, Jeffries. Um, Pete, have you seen any sort of unusual activity in the software space? You know, not really so much, Mel, but I think the one thing that stands out for me is the fact of a couple of years ago, what a great idea that was in execution that they did it at the timing that they did it, which was IBM with Red Hat. Sort of a similar deal where they're exposing themselves that much more to the software world. Obviously, that's been something that's really worked well for them. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, year to date, if you look at IBM versus Apple, IBM versus a lot of the major names that we talk about each and every night, and Apple, or IBM used to be one of these big laggards, but it's actually been outperforming in a big way. And I think a lot of that has to do with what they've been able to do over time and how Red Hat's become a big piece. The biggest problem I see right now for Broadcom is going to be, can this get done? And I, I, I'm not so convinced that it will but, uh, you know, obviously, we, 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 we will wait and see. But I still think this is going to be a huge hurdle to get over, Mel, for them to actually get this deal done. I don't think this is the environment for that kind of a deal to happen right now. Guy, when you made that great point about what you heard that, right? Uh, did you hear that? Him I, say did, that? I, I think that you're going to put it on tape because uh, you want to preserve the fact that somebody actually thought that you made that a also. point that was good. <laughs> But anyway, um, you meant that it was a, a good read for the semiconductor industry or a good read for the software industry? Both, actually. Okay. For just technology in general, which has come under extraordinary pressure since, obviously, the summer, but more specifically since November. And the fact that Broadcom is looking past this, again, my opinion, I think that speaks volumes. And again, I sort of couched it by saying this is what Broadcom does. So I get that. But... The fact that there's still potential deals going on, I think, is a really encouraging sign. All right. Let's take a look at shares of trade desk. The stock rallying today after the company reaffirmed its guidance on revenue and EBITDA for Q2. The news may have alleviated some of the concerns raised by Snap earlier in the week. That company, along with Facebook and Pinterest, also rallying. Um, Karen, what specifically gets you a little bit more optimistic about the space? So Trade Desk is sort of in the center of all of the, you know, uh, social media advertising. And so we saw that just bombshell from uh, from Snap last week, and they had reported April 21st, and then last week came out with that. And so you would think that Trade Desk would also be seeing what Snap was seeing, but they did. They reaffirmed, so that was good. I was wondering why they did that. I think it was their annual meeting, so they felt like they needed to address it. So th- that gives me a little comfort that maybe this wasn't. Uh, well, maybe it was somewhat specific to Snap, but maybe a reaction, the market's reaction, was somewhat overdone. I, I think it was more specific to Snap. And, and again, they, they're telling you about CPM declines and that they're starting to see some pricing headwinds. Um, and and that, that could be a function of many different things. But I, I just think for the ad market to have dis, you know, been destroyed overnight is something uh, it, we just haven't seen yet. Coming up, we're all over the after hours action in Gap and Ulta, both names on the move after reporting. We'll bring you the details, plus China Tech taking off the KYB ETF surging more than 7%. So has the group found a bottom? We're diving into that next when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the K-Web China Tech ETF today, soaring more than 7% for its best day in more than seven years. Seven, excuse me, seven weeks. Seven weeks. Big difference. The move coming on the back of earnings beats from Alibaba and Baidu. COVID lockdowns in China helping spur demand at the online companies. Baidu also saw strong growth in its cloud-based offerings for the quarter. Both of these names posting their best days since March 16th. Mm. Notably, though... Baba didn't provide guidance, Tim. I no, mean- they, they you know, basically they gave their quarterly numbers, uh, 30 billion up 9 percent and better than some people had expected. Uh, they gave some insight into April. Uh, so the quarter that we're in now and that's it. 
Uh, and they said actually they're seeing they're seeing about a down one percent in terms of sales, and that's something that actually is probably a relief. Um, but they are citing all of the economic uncertainty at home to say there's just no way we can give guidance. Now it, the question really is if you're an investor in, in in Alibaba and a number of the shares in the K Web, whether you even really care about this, or whether it's really more about the pressure on these companies that's coming from Big Brother. I mean, if you think about the valuation destruction in Alibaba, it was well before we really saw uh, lockdown 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever point oh we're in in terms of china uh, and i still believe those are the biggest issues we talk about this all the time alibaba is one of the great trading stocks certainly with a downward bias but this thing could go to 115 bucks on a chart and you still haven't broken through that up that uptrend um, i'm starting to get more constructive just on uh, the reality check that does take some time in china in terms of what they've done to their national champion companies mm-hmm. they have to let alibaba i think their message was received loud and clear by the way i mean i think i think the the hubris that existed within that 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 c-suite two years ago has been completely dismantled. And I think this company's doing what they need to do domestically. Even if the crackdown, if there's like a coast clear on the crackdown, the delisting fears are still there. And then also, of course, the China lockdown impact on the economy is still there, Karen. Yes, although the latter one you could think of as somewhat temporary, transitory, used to be a word, right, for the COVID shutdown. But on the former, do we do you ever get an all clear? Do you ever get? No. You no, know, no. you don't. Right. It's just the clouds lift. And so for me, I'm done. All right. Uh, meantime, one of these names is seeing a major uptick in options activity, and traders are betting today's big gains are just the start of a bigger rally. Mike Co has the action. Mike. Yeah, so we're taking a look at Alibaba, which traded two and a half times its average daily options volume. That made it the sixth most active single stock option that was traded today. A lot of that was in the calls. We saw some short dated June 3rd weekly 100 strike calls trading over 12 and a half thousand of those traded for a dollar and 17 cents. Buyers of those are obviously betting that the rally that we saw today could continue through the end of next week. Uh, Pete. Did you see this action? Yeah. And uh, do you believe that it's the start of a bigger rally? Um, I'm not so sure about that bigger rally part. I'll answer that one first. And I did see this option activity today as well. Yeah, it's been really busy, Mel. But you know what? And, and the desk was just talking about this. The delisting process is a, is a huge issue for me. I, I'd rather be in the options, though, than the stocks, because at least I've, I've got less risk out on the table. And I've been saying that for a long time. We just don't know, right? I mean, there's so many issues that go into this whole thing about trying to go through this. If you just looked at BABA and you you actually got rid of the name itself and just took a look and said, look at this balance sheet, what do you think? Everybody, including the entire desk, and I I think so many people would say, you know what, I'm going to buy that stock. Look at the cash flow. The free cash flow is over $110 billion. They've got all these other attributes that look fantastic, but the problem is, we just don't know what they're going to do with this and, and what we'd have to do with this. So I'll stick to the options and the option activity in the ETFs from China have been very, very active of late for sure to the to the bullish side. Mike, thank you for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time coming up. We've got more retail earnings coming your way. Shares of Gap and Ulta on the move. We'll bring you the numbers next. Plus, worrisome weather inbound. The impact this year's hurricane season could have on the energy trade in the stocks where you can seek shelter from the storm. That's when he's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are tracking more earnings in the retail space, starting with Gap, the stock plunging after reporting a loss of 44 cents a share, weak forward guidance. For more on the quarter, let's get to Courtney Reagan. Court. 
Hi there, Melissa. Yeah, so the focus really is on the outlook, right? Gap Inc.'s guiding for an adjusted earnings of 30 to 60 cents. Consensus was for $1.34. The company saying 90 to $1 per share of sort of this pressure is what Gap estimates it's going to cost to correct the issues at Old Navy and account for the weakness in the lower end consumer. And that's why it's so far off from the analyst estimates. Total comparable sales fell more than expected, 14%. Old Navy was slightly worse than expected. Remember, they warned about that a couple weeks ago. Gap brand, way worse than expected. Banana Republic comps, though, huge surprise to the upside. I spoke briefly with Gap Inc. CEO Sonia Single and CFO Katrina O'Connell. They are on the company call right now. And Single told me, look, the low-income consumer is starting to be really affected by inflation and the macro situation pressures. And certainly, we have that consumer in Old Navy in particular. She went on to say that changing shopper preferences, the shift from active, fleece, kids and baby to more occasion and back to work styles really hit Old Navy hard. And then O'Connell told me that inventory levels, which were up 34 percent, were significantly higher than we had hoped. Nearly half of that is from longer transit times. She said Gap is planning to spend about $350 million in incremental air freight this year, and commodity pressure will be another $350 to $400 million drag on annual profit. Melissa? Was return to office, was that a big factor for for, uh, Banana? You know what? I think it it had to be. They're still on the call going through some of those details and just starting the question and answer now. But it seems to reason that that would make sense to me. That's what we heard from Macy's. That's what we heard from Nordstrom, especially in their more urban stores, that they really saw that return to work customer as they were seeing people literally returning to work around those surrounding stores. All right, Court, stay put. We'll get back to you for more earnings in just a minute. Uh, Tim, what'd you make of this quarter? Well, first of all, the, the inventory mismanagement is something that, that really seemed almost laughable. And, and unfortunately, they mismanaged it with a lack of demand. So it's a case where at least if you look at some of the, uh, the other folks that have reported so far, it, you know, this seems to stand out. If you look at some of the core brands, it's nice to see the banana outperformed a little bit. Um, some of the core brands didn't. And, you know, if you look at the multiple, it's not an expensive company here. Um, but again, it's just hard to really feel like they have carved out um, brand. I mean, Athleta and some of the things, if, if active is is pulling back, that's a concern for them because that's been a big growth area. I think nine and a quarter is a 52 week low. We're probably going to get close there in the after hours. I'll say this. What's today? Thursday, right? It was Tuesday that JWN reported. We played the game that we like to do. What's which, that game? Which game? There's so many. Well, the one, the, the would you rather game. Oh, yes. And you just threw that at me. And without hesitation, I said, well, it's got to be Nordstrom's here, not least of which for the half a billion dollar buyback they announced, which is not insignificant for them. And to Tim's point, where Gap seems to have messed it up on the inventory front, maybe Nordstrom's sort of got it right. So maybe this quarter out of gap in some weird way can help Nordstrom continue to go to the 28 level that I think it's going to get to. Mm. Um, Alta, meantime, also at After the Bell, shares are jumping after a huge beat on top and bottom lines. Well, your guidance also coming in better than expected. Courtney Reagan, back to you with more out of the report. I am back, Melissa. So comparable sales for Ulta, those were up 18%. All major categories exceeded expectations. Makeup sales above pre-pandemic levels. It's a faster recovery than Ulta said it expected. The higher-end prestige categories did outperform the mass cosmetics. In-person beauty services, those comps grew double-digit as store traffic returned to normal, too. And CEO Dave Kimball said that consumers continue to be highly engaged with the beauty category as they participate in more in-person activities, engage in more travel, 
and lean into experiential spending. And while macroeconomic pressures, such as rising inflation, are top of mind for consumers, their resilience and emotional connection to beauty continues to drive the recovery in the category. Ulta is raising its sales guidance based on the first quarter result and trends so far in the current quarter. Shares higher by more than 6.5%. Thank you, Courtney. I didn't know there was an emotional attachment to uh, cosmetics. But anyway, Karen, you're in this name. I am in this name. This was just an (laughs) extraordinary quarter. I mean, just the strength of the beat on every line that matters, the revenue, the gross margin. I mean, it was and the guidance. This is, again, another one where I wonder why do they have to lift that guidance so much, Mm -hmm. right? 4% revenue gain at the midpoint, um, higher margins. I mean, it's a lot of positivity there. To your point, though, you got to wonder, wow, is it just everybody coming out? They want to get dressed up. They want to, you know, put on makeup. How many lipsticks are you going to own? Right. They must feel really good about their business. I like the story. This is a this is a giant move, as it should be. These numbers are extraordinary. I'm just. Karen wants I, sandbagging. She just she wants. I do. Why not? Why not? It's free. Exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. How bad things aren't so bad. Pete Nigerian, why not take the free pass? We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there could be pull forward too in terms of spending. Again, how many lipsticks do you yeah, need? How many pairs I'm, of chinos? Yeah, but you're going back to work. Everybody's going back to work. And obviously, you look at those comp sales at 18%. Those are absolutely extraordinary. And this was a read-through that I'm kicking myself right now, Mel, because of the fact that when Target did actually give their results, this was a strength area, beauty. So, uh, unfortunately, I I didn't put it together. I kicked myself for that. But these guys absolutely knocked it out of the park. People are definitely going back to makeup and all the rest of it because of the fact that we all know the direction. We are going back to work. We see it every day. And I think that this speaks for it. I think they're, they're, they don't need to sandbag. It's going to be great. You mentioned, too, that Sephora in Kohl's, that was strong. Yes, yes. And it makes you what about the rest of Kohl's? Right. Not so good. Right, right, right. Coming up, a crude awakening. Again, with a dig into Kohl's, why not? A crude awakening for energy prices, the impact a potential historic hurricane season could have on oil and gas. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Natural gas and oil prices soaring this year. And our next guest says the upcoming hurricane season could create the perfect storm to push prices even higher. Let's welcome Bill Kirk, CEO and co-founder of Weather Trends International. Bill, great to have you with us. Um, So far, this is looking like it could be one of the most active hurricane seasons on record. Um, It's still early, though. So how accurate are forecasts at this point? Uh, they're going to be really accurate just because of the climate cycles that we're in right now are just kind of a statistical lock. You have a La Nina event in the Pacific Ocean. That's cold water. No wind shear as a result in the Atlantic. That means we had 21 systems last year, 30 the year before. So those are the top one and two store years in 166 years. This year we're projecting 20. So that puts it, you know, the top four. So it's it's a guarantee. You're going to have a lot. The question is exactly where. Right. And, and I, the devil is in the details, to use the phrase once again in the show, as to, you know, where they make landfall in terms of what will be affected. But interesting for weather trends, you take the weather, but you also sort of play out what the impact will be. So what are you seeing in terms of the impact? So, again, we do think there's 20 storms and we actually try to, as you can see in the graphic here, try to point where we think they're going to occur. If the science allows you to do that in theory, right, if you know that the Atlantic's the warmest in 30, 50 years, right, it's hot. That means we have a lot of energy for hurricanes. The Pacific's very cold. That means no wind shear in the Atlantic. That means we're going to have a lot of systems. But you can also line up all these other climate cycles to say what happened in the past. 2012 is a year that we're in right now. Well, we know what happened in 2012. The Northeast got hit by Sandy. It's only Cat 1, but obviously Cat 1's big for the Northeast. So 
we know these similar years where they hit, and that's how we're able to project Texas, maybe Florida, even the Northeast Mid-Atlantic here as high-risk areas. So again, you can, you can actually quantify the inflows, and then what it's going to mean for, for business. Obviously, natural gas refining, if it hits in those you know Gulfport areas, you know uh, New Orleans and Louisiana and Texas, where everything's produced, uh, obviously that would be the perfect storm. Um, you know, to have that hit in those areas, which again has happened the last couple of years. Uh, Louisiana, as you know, was hit many, many times here the last uh, two years. Right. Um, so energy prices go higher. Uh, consumers go and board up their windows and buy generators. So that's good for uh, Home Depots and Lowe's, you say. And then, and then you think a, a retailer like a Macy's, retail in general. I mean, if it's terrible weather outside, people yeah. aren't shopping. It's not good. Hurricanes are actually bad for overall retail. They're great for homes. Home Depot and Lowe's will tell you, we'd love to have a major hurricane threaten the U.S., but then miss. You bought all your supplies, and you didn't do any damage to their stores. Right, Sandy, remember Sandy, right? We were down with power just for three weeks. We'll do the math. If that was for Kohl's, 23% of their stores are down without power for three weeks, right? Do the math on this lost sales. So the threat is always good, uh, you know, and it's more than just generators. It's things like mousetraps, right? People don't realize there's a huge spike in mousetrap sales because you have a damaged home and you line the, 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 the wives typically like to line the kitchen with these mousetraps. So there's a two, 300 percent increase in mousetrap sales because of a hurricane. It's, wow. it's crazy what you find in the analytics. <laughs> you learned something Apparently new I have mice. day. You just stumped all of our traders here, Bill. Thank you. Great to have you. Happy to help. Bill Carberg. <laughs> Who knew? Mouse. I mean, it makes sense, right? Guy, how many mice run running through your house? I, don't, I will tell you, I'm, we're out of time, I know, but I will tell you, one of my favorite games as a youth was the game Mousetrap, if you recall. You uh, yeah, set the whole the thing up, Goldberg and then wham, the whole thing comes cracking down on the mouse. Now we have no time to trade this. A final trade's next. <laughs> We are still thinking about mousetraps. Uh, time for the final trade. Pete. I'm going to give you a Cisco. I saw some call activity today. I already own the stock. I bought some calls. Tim. Seen an enormous bounce in retail. How about the biggest retailer outside of Walmart, Amazon, who has underperformed this bounce, and I think 2000 is a nice level of support. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, we talk a lot on this show about the three-day rule. It applies to the upside as well. Ulta, fantastic numbers, but I wouldn't rush out to buy it tomorrow. Wait three days. Guy. We talk a lot about Ranger hockey on the show, a pivotal Game 5, which Game 5s <laughs> typically are. I think the Rangers emerge victorious, come back to wow. Madison Square Garden. Close it out. Amgen, A-M-G-N, sister. I think Tim would agree. I, absolutely. I, how about you? Zero percent chance that I'm watching tonight. Thanks for watching Fast Money. A CNBC special, Inflation USA, starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 